You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. So here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Now, we're working our way through quite a long passage today. I'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 to chapter 18, verse 5. Um, I'll be reading from the CSB version. Uh, Please follow along in your own Bibles, and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Socho in Judah encamped between Socho and Ezekah and Ephes Damim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now David was a son of the Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war and the names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the second, uh, the next, and Shammah, the third. And David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Every morning and evening, for forty days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day Jesse had told his son David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also, take these ten portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So, David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up and set out as Jesse had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation, facing each other. 
David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him, terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The troops told him about the offer, concluding, That is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother Eliab listened as he spoke to the men, and then and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here? he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What have I done now? protested David. It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, so he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, You can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch, in his shepherd's bag. Then, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with a shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear and javelin, but I 
come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camps to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in, his, in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouted their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the Shadaim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from the pursuit of the Philistines, they plundered their camps. David took Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put Goliath's weapons in his own tent. When Saul had seen David going out to confront the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of the army, Whose son is this youth, Abner? Your majesty, as surely as you live, I don't know, Abner replied. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. When David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? The son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem, David answered. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. What a great passage to delve into today, right? It's David and Goliath. What a classic. Now, if you were raised in a Christian family, you've probably heard this story hundreds of times in Sunday school. And even if you're not a Christian, you probably know something of this story. It's a small guy that takes on a giant and wins, right? But you know what's unfortunate about hearing familiar stories? I think sometimes we presume to know what the story is about. I get, I'm betting that some of you probably already have a preconceived idea of where this sermon is going, right? It's David and Goliath. It's about um, facing your giants or fighting against the odds 
Or you can spiritualize it, fighting the giants of your life through faith in God. It's some kind of variation of that. It's some kind of self-help message to help us in our struggles in life, right? Well, friends, that's actually not what this story is about. And I think we commit a grave error when we look at a story like this. I think this is what we tend to do. We make ourselves the hero of the story. And that's often how we read the Bible, right? We look at the heroes of the Bible, and the question we ask ourselves is, how can I be like them? How can I be like Abraham? How can I be like Moses? How can I be like David? And while it's important to emulate their faith and life, the point of the Bible isn't actually primarily about you and your self-development. But why do we do that? Why do we make ourselves the hero of this story? I think deep down, we do that because we've accepted a pervasive message in our culture. And the message is this. You have to fight your own battles. And we embrace this message, I think, because it's empowering. It tells us we're not subject to the giants of our lives, that we can actually fight them and overcome them. But what's the flip side of that message? The flip side is actually quite lonely and isolating, isn't it? You have to fight your own battles. No one else will fight for you. You have to save yourself. Friends, that must be a very difficult way to live. That must be a very burdensome way to live, to have to fight your own battles by yourself. And friends, that is not Christianity. The gospel is not fight your own battles with God's help. The gospel is someone must fight the battle you cannot fight to win the war you cannot win. This story is not about being a hero, but about needing a champion who will fight for us. And we'll see how this is so as we trace the story. My sermon today will have three points. We'll trace the story seeing our enemy, our champion, and our victory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us alone facing our battles. And you do not leave us alone facing the most great battle that we have. You give us Jesus Christ. And help us see that through the story of David and Goliath today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So the story begins with a great enemy. Uh, verses 1 to 2, the Philistines gathered their forces for war at Soko, and Israel lined up to meet them and faced them there. Now, these two verses are actually reminiscent of a previous battle in 1 Samuel. See, back in 1 Samuel 4, the Philistines faced Israel for battle. And that time, Israel lost. And Israel not only lost the battle, they also lost the Ark of God. So it's important to note here that what Israel may be remembering as they face the Philistines is their defeat. They lost. They lost to them and they lost the presence of God when they faced them. This is kind of like deja vu. 
Have you ever had a sense of dread of something that you've repeatedly failed at? Maybe it's that exam that you can't seem to pass. Or maybe it's the 10th job interview that you almost always get rejected for. Or maybe it's another failed relationship, another breakup. And if we're talking about sin, maybe it's that time that you watched porn again or that you had too much to drink. Deja vu. They're facing a familiar enemy, an enemy that they faced before and lost. How will they fare this time? Not only were they facing a familiar enemy, they were also facing a superior one. Look at the description of their champion Goliath in verses 4 to 7. Nine feet, nine inches tall. Now Saul was taller than everyone in Israel, so presumably given Saul's fear, he was even taller than Saul. And he wore bronze everything, armor, helmet, javelin, and the only bronze equipment Saul had was his helmet. Goliath had the most advanced battle tech of his time. Goliath was stronger than Israel's strongest, taller than them, and had better equipment. He surpassed them in every way. And you know what Goliath reminds me of? He reminds me of that annoying cousin your parent keeps comparing you to. Why can't you be more like Goliath? He's taller than you, stronger than you, has better armor. He probably has a better job and is married already. Goliath surpassed them in every way. Now, I say this in jest, but I think that's how, how, often how we feel when we compare ourselves with other people, right? When we often feel weak, insecure, inferior. Now, in a sense here, we're continuing our sermon from last week. We're seeing the world as the world sees. We look upon appearance and stature. Goliath was intimidating. By all worldly measures, nobody could defeat him. But defeat him they must, for he issues a challenge to all Israel. Now, what's the essence of the challenge here? Goliath is basically saying, why the standstill between these two armies? How about, instead of everyone fighting each other, we choose a representative to fight in the ravine? We represent our respective kingdoms, and whoever wins among the two of us wins the victory over the whole battle. And that, my friends, is what a champion is. In the Hebrew, uh, it could be defined as a man between two armies. And before we move further, I think it's important to realize what this combat is actually about. This isn't some random skirmish between two ancient kingdoms that's irrelevant to us. There's this interesting description about Goliath's armor in verse 5. It says his armor was scale armor. It had scales. And a couple of commentators have noted that that small details of scales is likely meant to allude to a serpent. You see, uh, back in Genesis 3, when humanity fell into sin, God made a promise to Eve about this serpent that caused the great fall. In Genesis 3.15, he says he will put hostility between the serpent and Eve's offspring. And that offspring will strike the serpent's head, and the serpent will strike his heel. So there will come someone from the line of Eve that will crush the serpent's head. 
Then a few generations down, God makes a promise to Abraham. He says that through his offspring, all the nations will be blessed. So the promise of the serpent crusher comes through Abraham's line to the nation of Israel. So if we trace the story from Genesis, that means by the Philistines attacking Israel, they are attacking humanity's hope of redemption. For the one who will destroy the serpent will come from Israel. So Goliath is not just representing the Philistines. He's representing the serpent, the one who wants to destroy those who bear God's promise. And he's a good champion of the serpent, isn't he? He's everything the serpent offers, superior worldly strength and power. So this battle isn't simply a conflict between two nations. This is a cosmic battle between the children of God's promise and the serpent who opposes him. And it is into this chasm that nobody from Israel dare stand. And this is particularly damning for Saul. See, back when Israel demanded a king, they specifically wanted a king who would fight their battles. This is the battle. The battle is here. Yet Saul would not fight. Now we can take a moment and scoff at both Saul and Israel for not trusting God here. But we should remember where we are in this story. See, this moment is reminding Israel of their previous battle where they lost the ark of God where they presumed upon God and were judged by him. And afterwards, they rejected God as king. And Saul himself was rejected as king by God two chapters ago. So they're fearful, and they're looking only to themselves because they are afraid God has left them. They're afraid that because of their disobedience and rejection of God, God would not help them here. And I wonder if some of you feel that way today. I wonder if you feel like you're too far gone for God to hear you. You've sinned. You've disobeyed Him. You've rejected Him so often, He probably doesn't even bother with you anymore. You fear that He will not save you. Friends, if that's you, there's good news. Despite Israel's rejection, despite Saul's disobedience, it is into this context that God graciously sends us a champion, his anointed king. Verses 12 to 30, we see God's king enter the fray, sent by his father to check on his sibling. And notice what David says about Israel in verse 26. Who is this circumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, do you realize throughout this whole chapter, this is the first time God is mentioned? Israel, trembling, looking at the Philistines, remembering their past defeat. Saul, trembling, looking at Goliath, his height, armor, and weapons. Everyone, trembling in fear looking at the world, looking at themselves, looking at the danger ahead. Nobody 
looking at God. Nobody except God's king, David. So we now see here what God saw in David's heart back in chapter 16. Goliath only saw Israel as the servants of Saul. He called them as much. But David identifies Israel as God's promised people. The the armies of the living God. David sees the battle for what it is. It's not Goliath and Israel. It's Goliath and God. And he is appalled that someone would be so foolish as to pick a fight with God. But not only does David see the battle, he places his confidence in God rather than himself. I'll reread verses 33 to 37. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. And David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. When Saul called David, he again looked at him purely on what he sees. He looked at David for his youth, not his faith. But David knew it, was about, it wasn't about him, it was about God. And this confidence was not a once-off thing. He saw God's faithfulness throughout his life and did not forget it. His experiences of victory and rescue from beasts he attributed to God. He knew it wasn't him but God fighting for him and rescuing him. And to be honest, this should have been the confidence of Israel. They were rescued by God from Egypt through the Red Sea and the plagues. And multiple times they were rescued by God as they journeyed through the wilderness. It's in this confidence that David approached Goliath. And as expected, the battle was quick, but what was unexpected was the victor. One rock to the forehead, and Goliath was done for. Similar to the promise about the serpent in Genesis 3.15, Goliath's head was crushed. And like how his god Dagon fell when he was placed against the ark of God, Goliath fell face down to the ground. Goliath fell like the serpent was promised to fall. And he fell like his false god fell. And lest we think David's victory came from his own strength or his sling, hear David's battle cry before he slew Goliath. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. Verse 
and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Now, this has been the message of the last two chapters, and probably the message of 1 Samuel when it comes to Israel's enemies. I come against you in the name of the Lord. And David fought so that everyone would know it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Friends, what are you trusting in to save you? Is it a loving man or woman to rescue you from your loneliness? Is it a good career or financial security to rescue you from destitution? Is it your health to rescue you from death? Now, I'm not saying any of those things are bad, and I'm not saying it's bad to want those things. But I am saying that none of those things can save you. Only the Lord In fact, those things are probably distracting you from the real battle. If we read further in our Bibles, we'll realize as great as David's victory was, Satan's real champion wasn't Goliath. His real champion is sin and death. Our real battle, friends, is not about our career, our relationships, or our health and well-being, as important as they are. Our real battle is with Satan, sin, and death. Now, I think we, we tend to focus on these other things because we don't want to face our real enemy. I think sometimes we fight for our career or even our ministry. Because we can't fight our addictions with porn or gambling or alcohol. Sometimes we fight to be healthy and ripped because we can't face our brokenness from the sins committed against us, like abuse or slander. We fight for external things because we fear the battle that's truly raging in our hearts. We are enslaved to sin, and it's ruining our lives. And we are broken by the sins that people have committed against us. We are in despair. We can't fight that battle. We can't win that war. We've tried. But here's the good news. You don't have to. Someone already did on your behalf. If Satan's real Goliath is sin and death, then thankfully, David was only a shadow of God's true champion, Jesus Christ. By his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated the two things that have been killing us all. He destroyed sin by being made sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he destroyed death by dying in our place so that we may have eternal life. And in his resurrection, we can be assured of the victory we have from Satan, sin, and death. 
Hebrews 2, 14 to 15 says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. In Christ, we have the true victory. Now, this victory gives us two applications which we can draw from the rest of the text. First, we should fight for our champion, and second, we should love our champion. In verses 51 to 52, we see how the people of God were emboldened by David's victory. Now that Goliath was defeated, they were emboldened to rise up and fight, chasing the defeated Philistines out of their territory. Now, I told you at the beginning of this sermon that this text primarily isn't about us fighting, right? But you can see here the difference in how we fight now. We don't fight in order to win. We fight because we've already won. Think about a sin that you've been struggling with for a long time. Some addiction or some persistent attitude of the heart that you've not been able to overcome. And see the victory you have in Christ. He has already defeated your sin. It is dead with him in Christ. So we can apply now what we heard Peter Adam talk about two weeks ago. We can recognize our sin, renounce it, and repent of it. That's made possible because we have an assurance of victory through Christ, that we are already dead to sin. So friends, if you're struggling in your sin today, take heart, because Jesus has already defeated it. It's already dead. You can fight knowing that in Christ you will win. And secondly, it also galvanizes us for mission. Sorry. The disciples who were afraid, who were deserting Jesus, when we read through Mark, who were, who were always unable to rise up to the occasion, after Jesus rose in the book of Acts, we, we see change completely. They were completely bold to proclaim the gospel. They didn't fear anymore persecution, suffering, and death because they saw the victory of Christ in the resurrection. So we now can have that boldness to proclaim Jesus knowing that there is nothing that can destroy us. We have eternal life. We're just the cleanup crew. We're assuring the victory that Christ has already given us. Now, the second application is to love our champion. Look at chapter 18, verses 3 to 5. Jonathan saw how David defeated Goliath, he recognized that David is the person to fight Israel's battles, and he loved him. He loved him for his confidence in God, and he loved him for the salvation he won for God's people. He loved him, so he made a covenant with him. And here's the interesting thing. Jonathan is Saul's son. He's actually the crown prince. He's the first in line to the throne after Saul. Yet what does he do? He removed his robe, his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt, and gave it to David. 
Now, this is more than simply giving David clothes and equipment. By removing his royal robe and giving it to David, he is effectively saying that David is the one that is heir to the throne now. And by giving his military tunic and weapons, he is effectively saying that David is the one who will fight Israel's battles now. Jonathan is saying David is the king who will fight for Israel now. And that's a big call for a crown prince, a very unconventional thing to do, to give your power and authority to another. But he recognized who David was, God's anointed king, the one who will fight Israel's battles and defeat all their enemies. It is better for him to be king rather than Jonathan. Now I wonder if God is doing a work in your heart today to be like Jonathan. I wonder if you've recognized who Jesus is. God's anointed king. The champion who fought your battle, not merely at the risk of his life, like David, but at the cost of his life. The champion who defeated sin and death to give you assurance that you will defeat it too. The champion who disarmed Satan and ensured his demise. Jesus defeated the enemy you could not defeat and is the champion you could not be for yourself to give you the victory you could have never attained. If you recognize all of this, I hope you love him like Jonathan did because he so dearly loves you. And in loving him, may you surrender your life to him because he fights and he wins for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for seeing our plight facing an enemy that we've always lost to, facing an enemy superior to us, an enemy that would surely defeat us, and not being able to have victory and not being able to call you because of our fear that you would reject us for our disobedience and sin. Yet into that, you send your anointed king, Jesus Christ, to save us. And... Save us, he did, at the cost of his life. He suffered and died for our sins. He conquered Satan. He conquered death. And help us, Lord, surrender our lives to you. For you are worthy, and Jesus is worthy. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.